He is risen. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Second Peter. Matter of fact, on Thursday night, if you want to join us, we'll be right back in Second Peter chapter 2. But for last week and this week, we're taking a break. Pretty appropriate, I think. Took a break for Palm Sunday to see Jesus as our hero who can heal anyone, can fix anything, can do anything. And then... On Thursday, we, some of us were part of the Seder and we saw all the types and shadows of the fact that He's our Passover lamb. Friday, we celebrated the fact that He paid the ultimate price. He says to us through His Word, greater love has no man than this, but that He laid down His life for His friends. And if you're me, am I in there? You're calling me your friend, knowing me, what I do, how I act, what I think? Yep. He laid down His life for us. And today is the day for Christianity. That's when He not only was a hero and a criminal and dead, but now He's proven He even rules over the grave. Awesome stuff. But because we were in Second Peter, I want to share with you um, what we covered a couple of weeks ago. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 16, I want to share you this portion of Scripture that's really captured my attention. Second Peter 1, verse 16, he says, this is Peter speaking, the apostle. He spent those, those years with Jesus. And he says, verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, verse 18, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Y'all, the thing that captures me is that Peter, the author here, is speaking first person eyewitness perspective, right? He is talking about an experience that he had. Specifically in these verses, he's talking about the experience he had with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus kind of unzipped, as it were, and shone the glory of God. Like, he looked like a man, but turns out, no, he is God incarnate. Peter's point here is, look, you can believe it or not. But I'm telling you, verse 16, this is not a carefully constructed fable. This is not something that we just made up and then conspired. If we did, which one of us would be fool enough to go and die for this fictitious thing? This is not a carefully constructed fable. We were eyewitnesses. We were there. We've seen His majesty with our own eyes. We've heard the voice from heaven with our own ears. There's something compelling about an eyewitness account, right? Yeah. Think about all of the eyewitness accounts that were there on that first resurrection Sunday amid all the chaos, right? And then the days to follow. Turn turn to John chapter 20 with me. And what we're going to do, I'm going to share some scriptures with you and then I'm going to actually have some some folks come up and speak. (laughs) You're like, me? No. If I haven't talked with you before, you're off the hook. Don't worry. But I'm going to have some folks come up and speak, and each one of them is going to finish their testimony, if you will, 
with the words. And that's why I know Jesus is alive. And that's when I want you guys to say as loud as you can, He is risen. No, no, see, yeah, we're all messed up. All right, let's try. They're going to say, they're going to say, that's why I know Jesus is alive. And you guys are going to say, he is risen. And then they get to say, he is risen indeed. Make sense? (laughs) Got it. All right. John chapter 20. You all there? John 20. I want to show you some witnesses in the scriptures and then I'm going to show you some witnesses that are right here rubbing shoulders with you guys. Ready? John chapter 20. There was a witness. Her name was Mary. And Jesus, because she saw him, heard his voice. He turned her weeping into worship. Maybe some of you have spent some time weeping recently. Watch this. John 20. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener. (laughs) Probably the most understated thing, right? Oh, he's just a gardener. Supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, uh, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Imagine this little girl, right? Just show me and I'm going to carry that 200 pound body wherever I've got to. This is passion right here. I think Jesus was probably smiling at least, maybe even chuckling when he said, verse 16, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Mary, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Then look at verse 18. Eyewitness. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. She'd seen him with her own eyes. She'd heard him with her own ears. He turned her weeping into worship. Verse 18 says that she went and told them. It doesn't say exactly how, but don't you think she's pretty much just busting down the door? And saying, Jesus is alive and well. He's risen. Oh boy. <laughs> You'll have more practice. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember them? Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the story, you can write this down and check it out later. Luke 24. These two guys on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, their eyewitness account of him turned their jadedness into joy. When they saw him with their own eyes, they're walking to Emmaus, kicking the dirt in front of them. This guy walks up. They don't know who he is. He says, what what are you all down about? And they say, where have you been? In a cave or something? That he continues to walk with them, gives them the scriptures. They're like, wow, this guy's really smart. And then 
when it says he broke bread with them, their eyes were open and they became eyewitnesses. They had kicked the dirt all the way to Emmaus. But when they became eyewitnesses, they realized, wait, we just walked with him. We just talked with him. He taught us. We broke bread together. They kicked the dirt all the way down to Emmaus, but I, I'm sure they sprinted back to Jerusalem, don't you think? I think they probably wanted to bust down the door and say, we know Jesus is alive and well. Amen. You are teachable. <laughs> and I think they said, he is risen to eat. What about the disciples on that Sunday evening? Look down further, further down there. John chapter 20, verse 19. And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. See that? These disciples were shut away because of fear. Maybe some of you this morning. That's a good word to describe where you are. You see that Jesus' presence turns fear into, it says, gladness. They were glad that they had seen Him. So much so that I am sure, we know that they, they spoke with, with, uh, with Thomas. We're going to see that. I think that the gist of what they said turn into Thomas and go, Jesus is alive and well. Thomas would go, whatever. Thomas didn't believe it. Look at it, verse 24. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. In other words, Jesus is alive and well. But he said to them, Look, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas, so hurt, bitter, kind of almost defiant in his saying, I, I'm, I won't believe it. Not until I can do these things. I can put my, my finger in the print of his hands. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. The doors being shut, that's no problem for Jesus apparently. <laughs> stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Y'all, after eight days, I dare say the most miserable eight days Thomas had ever spent. All of his friends believing, him unbelieving. After eight days, finally though, because he's an eyewitness, Thomas's defiant doubt turns to devotion for deity. Yeah, it was eight days later, but if you were to ask Thomas, he would tell you. 
Jesus is alive and well. And Thomas would say, He is risen indeed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about 500 witnesses that saw Jesus all at the same time. And when Paul wrote those words, he said, Look, you can ask those who are still alive what they saw. They will tell you, Jesus is alive and well. That's probably my fault. Well, here's the question. Is it still true? I mean, we we can't see him. But that doesn't mean that it's not still true. Ask Thomas. He would look at you sheepishly. Yeah, he is. I didn't believe it. But now I believe it. Well, if it's true then, do we have any witnesses? I think we do. Jesus said those words to Thomas, Blessed are those, you you believe now because you see, but blessed are those who don't see me with their eyes, but they see me. They get it. They know that I am alive and well. See, the, the verse in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, to me speaks as a reminder to us. Y'all, witnessing is not what you do. It's who you are. Meaning you can only be a witness if you've really experienced the risen Savior. If you really can say, yes, I, spend, I spent this morning with Him. Yes, I know that He loves me. I know that He, he cares for me even when things don't look so great. A witness is not something you do, it's someone you are. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we get into the other part of our, our time this morning. Have you witnessed the Lord doing something in your life? In your quiet time, has He shown you the answer to a question that you've had, that you needed? In your despair, has He been the shoulder that you can cry on? I've asked some folks this morning to come and share their witness stories. When they get to the end of each of their stories, I've asked them to say, and that's how I know Jesus is alive and well. Okay, keep it up. You guys ready? First up, Julie Young. Where is she? There she is. No, that's not her. There she is. Let's give her a hand. This is Julie. Good morning. I'm so excited to tell you how I know that Jesus is alive. It started one year, four months, and eight days ago. It was Thanksgiving Day, and my husband had a stomach pain that just would not quit. He went into the hospital. They ran tests and they diagnosed him with stage four colon cancer that had spread to his liver. After many questions, we soon learned that this stage four was considered the most advanced stage of this cancer. But what stage four cancer does not know is that Jesus is alive. A report published by the journal of the American College of Surgeons states that the average survival rate for this stage of colon cancer is only eight to 12%. Mike was only 38 years old and facing these odds. But what this report doesn't know 
is that Jesus is alive. One doctor took me aside into one of those little bad news rooms, asked me how many children we had, and I told him we had a 7-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 17-year-old. He told me to make sure that our family spends as much time with him as they can because you're looking at maybe, maybe five months. But what that doctor didn't know is that Jesus is alive. On top of this, my husband had lost his job just six months earlier, and we had no medical insurance and no money to pay medical bills. But what insurance companies don't know is that Jesus is alive. I know he's alive because I heard his voice. That first day in the hospital when Mike was given this diagnosis, we were shocked, worried, scared, and we felt like we were all alone. But Jesus knew this, so that day he sent us friends from this church to give us his message of comfort, peace, and hope. And we heard him speak to us in that hospital room, and immediately our fears began to subside. We felt like we had hope, and we've had a peace that has never left us since that day. I know he's alive because I saw him. I watched in amazement as hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills were paid. Because Mike was out of work, he qualified for financial assistance that covered the cost of four hospital stays, six months of chemotherapy, colon surgery, liver surgery, test procedures, and bills that go on and on. We did receive one bill for $6. We paid this bill, and a few weeks later, we received a check back for $6 because the account was overpaid. I saw with my own eyes Jesus move this financial mountain, and we are now living debt-free of medical bills. I know Jesus is alive because I saw him work a miracle just this past January. They expected Mike to die 11 months ago, but instead the cancer died. And I watched each week as these lab reports came back with less and less and less cancer cells. Until now, they are completely gone. He is Jesus has miraculously healed him, and he is now living cancer-free. I know Jesus is alive, not only because I saw him, I heard him, and I watched him work a miracle, but I also felt him touch me. I am not the same person that I was one year, four months, and eight days ago, because he's living right here, and he's changing me every single day. So please believe me when I say I know for sure that Jesus is alive and well. He is risen indeed. Awesome. Do we have plenty of Kleenex? I hope so. Okay. Um, Actually, Mike, why don't you just stand up? He, he was too scared to talk, but I'm at least going to make him. There's the guy that, that Jesus brought from the dead. See, Mike, I have multiple ways of embarrassing you. <laughs> All right. Um, for them, they know that Jesus is alive and well because he's a great physician. He's the one who heals. And he can do it as easy as that. If, if you need healing, run to him. Ask him. He doesn't heal every single person. Otherwise, 
the world would be very crowded right now. <laughs> but he does heal some. And he heals according to his great wisdom and knowledge. I want to ask up uh, the next, I guess, couple. Is that right? Um, I talked with, with uh, Harry. Harry and Don are going to come up. And I talked with Harry yesterday and I was just talking about, you know, this opportunity to speak. And, and uh, they're in a different place right now. Um, whereas I think Mike and Julie are kind of like Moses being able to look back and at the Red Sea and see all of their enemies drowned, you know. At least I'm sure there's, there's others. But, but this one, it's like, yes, mission accomplished, completely done. Well, Harry and Don are in a spot where they're maybe more like in the middle of the Red Sea. And the walls are standing up, and that's pretty cool. But it's still not quite finished yet. So uh, they're going to come up and tell you their Jesus is a live story. This is Don and Harry Fantausi. Let's give them a hand. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, uh, let us pray. Abba Father, it is an honor to be here to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In April, my wife Dawn and I will be together eight years and marry six. Early in our dating, we talked about family. She had always dreamed of having twins, but never married or had any children. I, on the other hand, was divorced with three kids. After the third child, I, I had a vasectomy. Since she was so pretty, <laughs> and I didn't know where, where our relationship was going, I thought she would f fall in love with my children and forget or not care about having her own. So I went on to tell her that if we were to marry, we could try to have a child of our own, and we, could, and we would cross that bridge when we get there. Long story short, Dawn did not forget. <laughs> God in his sovereignty not just gave us a child, but he gave us two of them, twins. And that's Samson, this is Selah, this is my beautiful wife Dawn. It is true. His ways are higher than ours. The twins are almost one month old and beautiful. Sailor came home with mom right away, but Samson has some, some complications and is still in the hospital. He has some good days and some bad, but he is progressing and he is a tough little warrior. This whole journey has brought Dawn and I closer together to the Lord. We are learning to trust Him and Him alone. In the book of Job, his wife told him to curse God and die. But Job replied, Shall we accept good from God and not accept trouble? He went on to say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In the book of Romans, we know that we know that we know 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we must believe that God so loved us that he did not spare his son, but gave him up as a living, holy, and pure sacrifice for us. <clears throat> I believe that when our Lord went to pray on the Mount of Olives and, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I believe the fear was not to take the cup of suffering, the cross, or even taking the full wrath of God upon him, but of the knowledge he for the first time would be separated from his beloved father. So we believe that our son Samson is fearfully and wonderfully made, and the Lord's will will be fulfilled in him. <clears throat> and that's one reason why we know that Jesus is alive and well. He is risen indeed. I just wanted to say that we went through um, a lot of miracles to have these babies. And um, um, we just have to, even though we're still going through it right now, and some people in here might still be going through stuff, that you have to um, always look back and remember the miracles that he's already done in your life. And he's going to do more. Thank you. So got the tissues? Okay. I was sharing with the, the first service, um, I think of Harry and Don, uh, in this particular part of their life right now, uh, they are the example, truly, that I think that Jesus talked about when he said, you can have abundant life. How did the guy, the same guy that said, I have come that they might have life and that more abundant, also say, hey, in this world you're going to have trouble? It's the same one. The decision they're making is the decision that you must make if you want the abundant life, which is this world is going to have troubles. It's not going to go all my way. But, then, but to believe what the Word says, Romans 8.28, he mentioned it. Everything, all things will work out for my good and for the glory of the God who loves me. So I hope that's what you heard. That's what I just heard. Next up, Mr. Dave Moorhead. There he is. Let's give him a hand. I tell you, there's really some good speakers out here. I feel like the kind of like the rodeo clown in the middle because there's some good ones coming after me too. Um, it's quite an honor to be up here, um, and I know that there's a lot of my family never, never thought they would see me up here, but that just kind of goes to show you. I've just returned from seeing my brand new grandson up in uh, Gulf Breeze, Florida, and after a false alarm a week before, he was born March 24th, about a week or two sooner than we expected. A few things came to mind during my visit with him this week. Obviously, the miracle of birth itself. As I took 
and all the little details when I held him, the, the hands with all the fingers, the feet, the toes, nose, mouth, and, of course, that beautiful face. One thing in particular that I noticed was how trusting he was as I held him, how totally at peace he was as long as we weren't messing with him, like when it was time to change the diapers. Apparently that interferes with his eating or sleeping. If you ever suffer from insomnia, just put a sleeping baby on your chest. It's like more contagious than a yawn. Um, I got to thinking about my walk with Jesus when I was saved, and I, I turned everything over to him. I was saying I cannot handle my own life, Lord, so I'm turning it over to you. There's a lot to learn when you hand over the keys to your life to him. Sometimes it's kind of like giving someone the keys to your car after you've driven it all your life, and now all of a sudden you're a passenger. You have to really fight the urge not to tell the driver, be careful, you're going too fast, too slow, watch out for this or that. You see, I had always thought that I was saved, but I realize that salvation is not an inoculation, and God does not grade on a curve. As a matter of fact, if you think you're saved, and you aren't living your life as if he's standing right next to you every single second, you might want to take another look at your true relationship with him. Looking back on it, I think I was the one that was the model for the footprints in the sand. He protected me through childhood when I fell off my bike or got sick, when I was an obnoxious teenager. One, when I was a young soldier, when I took refuge in alcohol and drugs, all these years that I was driving, swimming, working, and just living life in general, he was always there. When I finally got it, life as I knew it, suddenly became a lot easier. One thing that was difficult was the part about tithing. For a real estate broker, it was especially difficult. We all know that real estate was one of the first casualties of this economic battle that we're in. Turning your life over to him means turning everything over, not just some things. I tithed before when I thought I was saved and never saw any results in my life. And when I tithe after I became saved, it's amazing how the blessings just keep on coming. I'm beginning to think there might just be something to this he knows your heart thing. As a matter of fact, if you're not saved, I do believe you can give every penny over to the Lord. It's not going to make any difference at all. A brief summary of how things have been going just as of the beginning of the year. I was diagnosed with 90% blockage in my right artery, and even when I was on that cold stainless steel table in surgery, I had absolutely no fear. I've had the best quarter I've had in all 10 years in the business. Not only have my listings been selling, but other areas of my business have grown as well. And did I tell you I have a new grandson? <laughs> the message I want to leave you with is this. We're all like infants, trusting, sleeping, and making a mess all of our own. One of my favorite songs is God With Us, because there's so many verses that apply to my life. Who are we that we, you would be mindful of us? What do you see that would make you look our way? We are free in ways that we never should be. Sweet release from the grip of these chains. For you know we don't deserve your glory. Still you show a love we cannot afford. At this Easter season, now, not later, would be a great time to get it right. Don't wait like I did. Fortunately, God told me enough is enough. Time to man up.
Admit it. You need me in your life. And that's one reason I know Jesus is alive and well. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I feel like the, the message from, from Dave, one of them is, it's possible to go years and years and years and think that if you just walk down an aisle one time or if you said one prayer, that you're good and that you, it's okay to spend the rest of your life not communicating or, or knowing that Jesus is real and that He's in charge. Dave would tell you, I finally get it. I really now have a relationship with Him. It wasn't just, I love the word inoculation. It just brings it all into focus for me. It's not a shot that you get once. It's a relationship. If anybody in the room, you're like, I don't have that and I want that. Talk with me or lots of the people in this room or Dave in particular. I know he'd be honored to tell you what he knows of this risen Savior. All right, next up, Julie Schuler. Let's give her a hand. Good morning. Spring is a season of newness. The fresh leaves on the trees, new blossoms on the orange trees that smell so incredible. And the Easter Sunday gatherings that celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My new life began in 2007. Not in the spring, but on a hot July summer morning with the birth of my sweet baby girl. Four days later, my new life as a single mom began when I was told my troubled marriage was ending. My daughter's father was leaving me for the arms of another family. Everything I'd feared for months was suddenly coming true, and my life was completely falling apart. Four weeks later, desperate for comfort and with crumbling faith, I found my family here at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes. That following spring, on a beautifully sunny day, just like this one, I had Reagan dedicated to the church. Pastor Doug talked about how some men may forsake their wives, but God would never forsake me. In my head, I knew this, and I talk about knowing in lowercase letters. I knew he would walk me through my trials, but in my heart, I didn't know it with all capital letters. I frequently felt alone in facing the reality of the sudden turn my life had taken. Now I need to fast forward two more spring seasons. My sweet girl is now a happy, thriving, stubborn, two-and-a-half-year-old toddler with a love for fruit snacks, books, and going to the park. Her dad and I have been divorced for two years and share custody. My new life has been a roller coaster of happiness, pain, and growth. Through it all, I knew, lowercase letters, in my head that God was near, but I still did not know, capital letters, just how close he was. In February, while studying 1 Peter, Pastor Doug gave a message on 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, titled Suffering and Glory. I thought, suffering in my life? Check. <laughs> Glory, not so much. At the time of the message, I was gearing up for a court date with my ex-husband to modify custody. He was adamantly against my proposal to adjust our schedule, and I was going to be representing myself at our trial. Doug told the story of Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing to worship false idols. In the fire, a fourth figure, like the Son of God, was seen by the soldiers outside. The young men survived. As Doug said, God did not spare them their trial, but met them in the midst of it and delivered them through it. 1 Peter 4.13 reads, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, 
that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Pastor Doug asked us to consider that when it comes to our suffering, we don't need to ask God to join us in it. God is already in the fiery furnace with us, waiting to walk us through it. For the first time since my new life began, I truly began to know, capital letters, in my heart that it was true. He was already with me when I began to suspect things were not right in my marriage. He was with me on countless sleepless nights when there was no taking turns waking up with the newborn. He was with me in doctor's offices with ear infections and temper tantrums in Target. (laughs) He was with me as I found myself in my new life and regained my faith, and he would be with me in the courtroom as we went before the judge one more time. The day before my court date, I brought this up to Pastor Doug, and we talked jokingly about finding some concrete way to symbolize God's presence in the courtroom since I would be representing myself without an attorney. So the next day, after walking into the judge's chambers, I placed a pad of paper and a pen in front of the chair next to me, as if I was expecting someone else to sit there. On the paper, I'd written the three verses I'd been memorizing and praying with. I glanced at them more than once over the course of the next 90 minutes. In the end, I was shocked and amazed to hear the judge rule that, in this matter, I find in favor of the mother. I was overcome, not by the fact that I had won, but that my trial, literally my trial, was being turned into his triumph. Sometimes I will joke that I'm the poster child for life not going according to plan. Now I know, all capital letters, in my heart that God has a plan for me and that my refining in the furnace is not complete. He is not done with me yet. There are more trials outside of the courtroom to come, but in my new life and walk with him, I know that God waits for me in the furnace to walk me through them on the path to his triumph. This is how I know Jesus is alive and well. He is risen risen indeed. Good stuff. We've seen the risen Savior as a healer, great physician, one who can bring back somebody from the dead. And we've seen the risen Savior as a comforter in the midst of trials. And we've seen a risen Savior who, for someone who waited a long, long time to come and return to Him. And we've seen the risen Savior do what He promised to do, to be an advocate. He said, I'll be your advocate. It's amazing to me that He he would do it in such a concrete way uh, for Julie. Well, we have one more. One more uh, person that I'd like you to meet, and uh, she's actually, uh, we've only known each other, she and I, for just a a few weeks, and it's been a blessing to me. And um, I know you're going to be blessed by her story. This is uh, Mrs. Paula Parkinson. You can call her Mrs. P. Let's give her a hand. You forgot. At the end of every year, I seek God's face for a new word to get me through the following year. It was Christmas 2008, and I was looking to hear from him regarding that word for 2009. My husband was a pastor, but our youth pastor was speaking, and he said something about transition. And there it was. The word hit me. And I leaned over and whispered to my husband, that's it. That's the 
word. We knew changes were coming. We had a sense that the Lord was calling, calling us away from our precious church, and that would certainly involve transition. Jesus gave me that special word, and I knew it. It's now February 2009. I was shopping for a birthday gift for my husband. His birthday would be in two days, and I still hadn't found just the right thing. He was a pastor and would be teaching a class at a church other than our own that evening, so there was no reason to go home right after work. We were empty nesters, and without him there, I just decided to go on right after work. And suddenly, while I was in the middle of the store, I had an overwhelming sense that I needed to get home. It was the kind of urgency you get when you know it's the Lord speaking to your heart. My transition was about to begin. As I swung the door open, there was my beloved on the kitchen floor. I knew his spirit was gone. Rod was not in his body. As I dialed 911, I was keenly aware that the Lord was present in that room. My husband had so wanted to be with Jesus, and now he was. I remember thinking that God knew exactly what I was experiencing, and he had sufficiency to see me through any situation, including this one. His presence was real, and his capability to get me through my personal despair by his grace was prominent in my mind. I would need him to transition through all the things yet to come. So much happened in those early hours, but the next morning, as I stood alone in the kitchen where he had lain, I called out to Christ. I told him that if I were to continue living in that house, to please take away the vision of Rod laying on that floor. I could not possibly relive that scene each time I opened the kitchen door. And right at that moment, I saw very clearly Rod standing at the counter, putting his hand to his chest and unzipping his body. The shell fell to the floor, but I saw his spirit rise and meet the Lord. The kitchen would forever become a place where he was able to see for the first time his Jesus and do you know, I have never one time ever walked into the kitchen and glanced at the floor where he lay. I can open the door, I can walk in, and I'm fine. In a little over a year, I have finally arrived at the joy comes in the morning part. I actually experienced days of happiness and contentment. And the Lord continues to act on my behalf daily. That same God who comforted my heart then satisfies my heart now. And that's how I know Jesus is alive and well. He is risen indeed.